Hello, and welcome to the Francis Farmer Show. Uh, it's now here at the end of summer, and when last we talked, uh, we uh, had said we were going to read Last of the Mohicans this summer and then talk about it, and we are not doing that. <laughs> Instead, we read a much shorter book and a much better yes. book, uh, True Grit, yes. and we are going to talk about True Grit, the novel, and... Uh, the two versions, the 1969 Henry Hathaway version with John Wayne and the 2010 Coen Brothers version with Jeff Bridges. And uh, my name's Sean Gilman, and I'm here with uh, Melissa Taminga, who uh, is is fresh from introducing True Grit at the uh, at the movie theater in Bellingham. I can't yes. I can't remember the name of the theater. <laughs> Pickford Film Center. Uh, after the Pickford Mary Film Pickford. Center. Yes. yes. Uh, so yeah, I, I read Last of the Mohicans all the way through to the end. You did. And, and I it. think you probably deserve some kind of Mohicans medal yeah, of some I, kind. <laughs> <laughs> and I read the first several chapters and yeah. I, I feel proud of that. It kind of, it kind of gets that far. It gets easier. Okay. As it goes along. <laughs> There's like, like a couple hundred pages in. Yeah, there's there's like more action that is less geographically incoherent. Okay, that's good. Yeah, it gets better, and 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 the movies are really good. So like that should motivate you to read the book. That's so true. I know, and I have both movies, and I'm looking forward to seeing them again. Oh. One revisiting one, and then oh, I got the, the first, I got the first one. I got the silent one too that uh, Maurice Turner oh. directed. I haven't oh, nice. watched that one yet, but, but uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we're going to do that eventually. We will at have some point. our Last of the Mohicans yes. podcast. Uh, coming up at the end of the month is going to be the Vancouver Film Festival, and we're going to read a book for that, too. Uh, that book is uh, called Zama. Yes. I have it around here somewhere. I can't remember who wrote it, but it's uh, been made into a Portuguese. movie by Lucretia Martel. Argentinian, yes. I think. Argentinian, okay. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, it, the novel, original novel, is written in Portuguese, I think. Okay. Perhaps. Could be. Yeah. I haven't read it either, but I, I bought it, and I yeah. have it, and I read the cover. Our I, friend Evan has read it, and he says it's really great. So. It sounds it sounds great. And uh, Lucretia Martel is pretty great, and her adaptation of it is almost definitely going to be at the Vancouver Film Festival, so we're going to read that. But uh, today we're going to talk about True Grit. So, Melissa. <laughs> true Grit. Tell me about yes. True Grit. So, the ba I'm assuming most people probably know the basic plot line, which the um, both of the films follow, but just to kind of offer, offer the summary. Um, so, it centers on the character of Maddie Ross, who's a 14-year-old girl. Uh, her father is shot by... Uh, the bandit sort of figure, Tom Chaney, um, who has worked for her, her father. Um, her father is shot by Tom Chaney and her sort of mission um, uh, to find justice is to track him down. Um, and to, to do so, she hires uh, a U.S. Marshal by the name of Rooster Cogburn um, to help her go get uh, this Tom Chaney and bring him to, to justice. And so, and Rooster Cogburn is this um, figure who is 
kind of a hard drinking guy. He has one eye. He um, is apparently very good, um, according to what Maddie's heard, at um, being ruthless about bringing people to justice. He is kind of a itchy trigger finger. He doesn't really seem to care too much if he if he shoots um, the 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 wrong person or um, if he takes someone's someone's life. Um, but he he agrees to take. Um, Maddie's money and do the job. Um, and then uh, kind of along the way at the beginning of the journey, they run into a Texas Ranger by the name of Labeef, who um, is also looking for Tom Chaney um, for some other crimes that he committed. And they kind of form this alliance, I guess you could say, um, to an uneasy alliance, especially at the beginning, to track down Tom Chaney. So that is the basic arc of a story. And it's like, I guess it's kind of an adventure slash revenge uh, story, we could say. And um, all three are all the, again, the, the two uh, versions of the movie um, follow that plot pretty closely and even actually have quite a bit of the, the dialogue from the, from the book in both of them. But I think the films are quite a bit um, different from one another in spite of that that basic um, allegiance to the original source material. Um, but let me ask you, Sean, what is your uh, relationship to the book and the films? Which, what, did, what did you see or read first um, of, uh, the, of the three? I saw the John Wayne movie. I first saw it a long time ago. Uh, and like vaguely remembered it. Uh, and then I saw the, the Coen brothers movie when it came out and I really liked it in 2010. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but I'd never read the book. So I just, I just now read the book and the mm -hmm. book, uh, I think is, is really great. And, yeah. and both the movies are good, but yeah, <laughs> But, the, but. Like, they, they both they both make kind of decisions in adaptation that are really uh, incomprehensible to me. That all they kind of do is just make the story worse. And yeah, really it's kind why. of yeah. I mean, I, I guess we should probably say I I came quite late to the the book as well. I my first experience actually with the True Grit story um, was the Coen Brothers version of the film. I mean, I knew of the John Wayne version, but I had never seen it until recently. And then the book, um, like you just read it really within the last couple of months um, in preparation for this introduction I was going to do at the, at the Pickford. Um, but the, the book I agree is great. I mean, it's such a fun read. It's um, it's very funny. Um, it, but, but it is, it is told in this first person narrative, which is maybe part of the reason why it's kind of difficult to do an adaptation of it and just because of the nature of cinema. I mean, it's hard to do, I think a first person narration elegantly, that's really going to capture some of the kind of spirit of, um, the story being told through the perspective of that person. Um, and I don't know if that's necessarily why both the films don't work necessarily but i think the 69 film doesn't even really try to to do that first person perspective but the coens did set out to try to represent that first person perspective and i'm not sure if that's where you think they ran into trouble but um 
I think well, they, I think th- I think they both do an okay job of adapting the language and not just like the dialogue, yes, but just I agree the the uh, the very kind of formal stylized tone of of not just the narration but all of like the character dialogue. I think the the Coen's yeah. version probably does a better job of that because mm-hmm. uh, just as filmmakers in general, they're very attuned to. Uh, distinct American dialects and the novel yeah. is written in this in this very distinct style that's that's really charming and, and fun to read but it's very it specific to this particular character of of Maddie Ross and the kind of woman she is mm-hmm. um, yeah I think uh, like I, as far as like keeping everything from her perspective uh, the uh, the Coens do that in that they have her like narrate the beginning and the end of the movie, and, and the it end. has like the little mm-hmm. epilogue that we get in the book where it's like twenty five years later and she goes to meet Rooster at a at a Wild West show. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas the sixty nine film just ditches that altogether. It just yeah. plays <laughs> it, it plays everything out kind of in an in objective, you know, studio Hollywood style. Where you yes, actually see exactly. see the prologue, where the father goes out with Tom Cheney, uh, and yep. Cheney's gambling and drunk and shoots the father, and then Maddie shows up, and and then it ends with like this just bizarre ending that doesn't make it's any really, sense at all. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, it's really strange. I mean, I almost kind of think of it. I mean, this this '69 uh, film, right, was the John Wayne's one. Um, Oscar win, right? And it, it yeah. almost it feels a little bit like a for your consideration scene. <laughs> like he gets on his horse and he rides and jumps over the fence, and then it freezes. There's a freeze frame on him in this kind of pose where he's sort of a yeehaw yeah. pose at at the end. Yeah, and, um, it's, and it, it's totally not in keeping with the spirit of the novel or even just the film story up to that point. Exactly. Yes. No. Definitely not the novel. And then even the '69 version of the film, it it's a, it's kind of an odd turn that it takes there. Yeah. But uh, um, and that is that is bad. But like the rest of the plot for the '69 film, it it follows the book as closely as you can follow a plot in a book adaptation. Like all of the story beats are there. Like the the yeah. the main. Uh, uh, conversations like the first I think more than the first half of the novel it's only like a 200 page novel I think it's mm-hmm. it's uh, in you get into the hundreds before they actually even set out on the the hunt for for Tom Cheney the whole first yeah, half of the of novel is, is just mm-hmm. yeah. is just her you know maneuvering around the town trying to take care of business trying to hire Cogburn dealing yeah. with Labeef. Um and the the Cohen's version uh, cuts out a lot of that stuff, which yeah. is is where you get to know who Maddie Ross is. So it it follows like her perspective more so, but mm. it cuts out a lot of like the really kind of distinctive things about her character to where she's uh, much less coherent and much more generic than she is mm. in the novel or even in the the sixty nine version. Um, like the uh they add uh a scene where she sleeps in uh in the uh funeral parlor 
Yeah, mm-hmm. which is to- the, that's yeah, that's not in the novel or the sixty nine version. And it's not it, it's not something that that character would do. Like she is she is a very prim and proper Presbyterian frontier woman. Right. She would not be sleeping in a coffin. Yeah, and it's like they're trying yeah. to to kind of imply that she has some kind of like violent streak or death wish or something like some kind of fascination yeah. with violence, which is not her motivation at all. <laughs> I kind of read that a little bit differently. I was I was sort of taking that as the Cohen's indication that there is going to be a, a lot of death in the film, um, that she is going to have some kind of a closer relationship with as as time goes on, and there's going to be a pretty high cost to whatever it is that she goes through. Um, not necessarily that she's morbid, but that's an interesting. Yeah. reading of it but I, I do agree that I mean she particularly in the novel it really does come through that she is a, a very highly religious um, person I mean she it kind of runs through all of her dialogue and yeah it is hard to to read why she would be spending the night in a be happy with spending the night in a in a morgue <laughs> yeah. and if, um, like if the novel kind of touches on her her morbidity and her relation to violence and, and even the kind of, of foreshadowing of violence that's to come with uh, the public execution that yeah, she witnesses, exactly. mm-hmm. which uh, yeah. is, is very truncated in, in the Cohen's version. Uh, in, mm-hmm. It's almost like played for laughs a little bit. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's not fun. Oh, it, I mean, it is. It's yeah, yeah. kind of like, <laughs> uh, yeah. like the, there's like the two white guys and, and an Indian get killed. And, and yeah. one white guy, mm-hmm. like, you know, is like crying and screaming and gives like a long speech. Another guy, white guy is like very, uh, very abrupt and, and terse. And then the Indian starts to yeah. talk and then they kill him. Yeah. Goes, ha, 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 yeah. They didn't listen to the Indian. <laughs> right. Because that's the way they were then. Right. Which, yeah. Yeah, but it but it it, oh, it might right. tell you something about like how the people of of Arkansas felt about Indians, but it doesn't tell you anything about Maddie mm-hmm. Ross. Whereas in right. in the story, she's very insistent that she witnesses it and then is also horrified by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and in the in the sixty nine version, it's it's really creepy in that it's like a Sunday you know, part crowd with like all these like, yeah. like Hollywood like extras a, on a soundstage and then they're witnessing this hanging. Yeah. And people are going around selling like food and stuff, snacks as you're, yeah. you know, watching the hanging and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. 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 She really, she really doesn't telegraph her, her horror um, at it at all in the, in the Cohen's, the mm-hmm. Cohen's version. Um, I mean, I mean, I think they set up, they spend, a good bit of time um, on her haggling over the price of the ponies um, in the Cohen's version, and and that's a pretty extended scene in the beginning. Um, yeah, that, but that but is better. I, the The sixty nine version changes that in a way that I found really upsetting. Also, <laughs> oh oh yeah. Uh, in uh, her, on that. her father has gone to to Fort Smith in order to buy right. some Mustang ponies because he thinks he yes. can he can breed them. And sell them. Uh, that's that's why he's there with Cheney and ends up getting killed. So he's bought the ponies, and she needs to she needs to get the guy who bought them to buy them back. Buy them back, right? Because uh, mm-hmm. she needs money to go pay for Rooster Cogburn to go right. after. Her. She needs she needs cash to. Right, and uh, also she thinks like her, her father's mission. scheme was is was dumb, <laughs> and she doesn't. Right? Want to yeah. Do it. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, she's like a money woman. I mean, she's like sort of the financial manager for their family. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in the the Cohen's version plays that uh, fairly close to how it is in in the novel, but the sixty nine yeah. version, uh, she she tells the owner that uh, the horses are geldings, right? Yeah, so they can't be. So bred, they're not good for anything. Yeah, which mm-hmm. which means that a her father is like really really stupid, <laughs> and and yeah. b implies that the the horse trader is is immoral for like right. scamming her father which is mm-hmm. in neither of which are true no no exactly like yeah. the the father may have like come up with a like harebrained scheme but he's not an idiot and the mm-hmm. the horse trader is like obstinate in his dealing with maddie but he's not a bad guy right exactly he's just and, in over and, his head dealing with this 14 year old girl <laughs> yeah who knows exactly what she wants and kind of how she's going to get there and she's not going to get give up yeah um and and it seems like that is if it, it, for the cohen's that is kind of the in a way the centerpiece of the the begin i mean that that's the setup for her character that that scene because it is a pretty long extended scene and then the other major extended scene in that the Cohen's opening is the courthouse scene, which the Cohen's leave most of the dialogue, I think, in there. So you yeah. that, but that's the introduction then to Rooster Cogburn, really. Yeah, and I think I think that one is more accurate to the novel than the '69 version. Yeah, I think I think so too. Yeah, but, there's there's a lot of the original um, dialogue there. Yeah, but they also cut out a lot of. They changed the introduction to Labeef. They cut out. Yep. They make they make Labeef much creepier, for one thing. Yeah, he shows up in her bedroom yeah, rather than which is not <laughs> a thing. Uh, and they and they cut out no. like like some of the scenes of of her uh, meeting with Rooster, like when Rooster takes her gun and shoots the the rat with it, which mm-hmm. sets up an important plot point at the end of the film because he's like drunk and he shoots a rat with her gun and then he reloads it, but he reloads it incorrectly. He reloads it badly. Drunk and then it fails her when she tries to shoot Tom Chaney. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And so when she does try to shoot Tom Chaney in, in the Cohen's version, then it, it doesn't really, I think she makes a comment about it not being loaded right or something like that, but it's not clear that's connected to Cogburn. In, in, the, in the 69 version, she says that it's not loaded correctly that he loaded that that he misloaded it but when he shot right. the rat, when john wayne shoots the rat he shoots it with his own gun and not her gun it's only right. in the novel yeah. that it all actually makes sense it, exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i mean i guess it's just like the movies both movies needed to move along somehow um yeah, I mean, but but something like that. I mean, he he could have just picked up her gun and they just right. <laughs> like, the, you the could have gun. done it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and the the Coens cut that out, which you know, kind of it it helps build the relationship between between Rooster and Labeef and 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 Maddie. The way they go back mm-hmm. and forth, and and it's constantly a negotiation. Everything with Maddie is a negotiation. Yep. She's always arguing with these people, and then. Right. In the second half of the film, she meets situations that she can't negotiate her way out of. And, and you know, you have to start shooting people. And that's kind of the, the split in the novel mm-hmm. is between these yeah. two worlds, this, this, you know, very religious proper world of like, you know, of fair dealing and lawyers and this outlaw world where, you know, people get their fingers chopped off for. Argument. Right. 
Right. And I do think the Coens represent that pretty well. I mean, it, it just seems like they, the deaths that happen uh, along the way in the Coen brothers versions, you, you feel them quite a bit. And, and I do, I think even some of the, you know, they, they really make clear that even the quote unquote villains that they meet or the bad guys, quote unquote, that they meet, their deaths are significant too. I mean, Maddie um, spends time looking at them. Um, and, and there is this kind of weight then of sort of what she is doing. I think that that really does come home um, in, in the Coen brothers version um, and that she can't correct it. Um, which is like one interesting um, difference between the, the two films and the, and the book is the Coen brothers in the scene where they have the, um, the shootout at the the cabin. I mean, the guy gets his fingers chopped off um, and then he dies because he's stabbed. I mean, the, the Coen's brothers choose to have the bodies, they can't bury them because it's too cold. It's, it's winter. And so they're just set out there and there can't, there's not any closure. They're not sent back to their families. Their families aren't notified. They're just left out there. And Maddie has to look at them in the, in the novel. Um, I think in the novel, right. The Maddie insists that they, the they're they're buried um, and the same thing happens in the 69 version yeah they take them back and there's like this this kind of like creepy progression they're walking through the woods on on, uh yes these horses carrying dead bodies and and it's there in the 69 version the coens cut it out and and in and instead they have like the scene with the creepy dentist yeah, which is just <laughs> which is totally wholesale. Their invention. Yeah, it's just a Coen Brothers moment in a yeah, movie that a strange is not relevant character. at all. I I would have rather had like the the corpse train. Yeah, I I mean I was trying to figure out why they have so. Just to kind of remind people who haven't seen it, I mean, they're Maddie and Cogburn are riding along in the woods. They've separated from Labeef at this at this point, and they come upon this body that's hanging from a tree mm-hmm. um which is again not in the novel or in the 69 version they're wondering if it's tom cheney they cut it down and then they do they realize it's not tom cheney and then this guy dressed in a bearskin who is a, a dentist slash <laughs> a medical man of some kind appears and ends up taking the body and so yeah i i mean i don't really know it certainly does fit in with their eccentric characters, love for eccentric characters. Um, but I was kind of wondering if there was some element of the idea of trading on death or the idea of, um, I don't know, the relationship of money and death or something like that, because basically that body becomes something that can be traded. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's just kind of trading in weirdness. I think I think, <laughs> I think the the Coens are interested in in weird America, and this is like yeah. a scene of weird America, and yeah, you know, like keeping focus on on Maddie and Rooster and Labeef and and their quest is not it doesn't like hold their interest. <laughs> they need to, yeah. to take a moment for weirdness, and <laughs> yeah. and you know, it's, it's not just in this case. In, in a lot of their movies, there are like individual moments that just don't fit in the narrative that are just there to you know make the world stranger yeah yeah I think you're right I mean I still 
because of the presence of that dead body just hanging there, and I mean, even just the image of the of it hanging, I mean, that's kind of what she wants for Tom Cheney, right? Is mm-hmm. the him to be hanged um, and some kind of justice. But then when you realize it's not Tom Cheney, it's just this random person. We have no idea who it is. Um, the, right. I don't know. There's well, something for me that's kind of resonant about that idea that there is just kind of death hanging over the world. And the idea of justice is sometimes this kind of... Um, it's injustice. I mean, he clearly he was lynched. You know, it's not it's not true justice. Right, um, but and, and I and it's raising the question then throughout the rest of the film, like, I mean, what does justice mean, and who gets to take someone's life? Yeah, but they. I mean, if if that was if that was their argument, then they would like do some work to connect that to the other hanging that we see, the public execution, and to contrast those two. And yeah. Possibly. They don't really. I mean, they play the first one as a joke that mm-hmm. they just kind of skip over, and then they linger mm-hmm. on the second one. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I see I see your point. Um, I mean, I just kind of feel like the Im- the image itself was sort of powerful, but True. it it is played weird because that the guy in the bearskin is just kind of this comic character, and ultimately he's not really saying much of anything <laughs> yeah i think well the to to speak of the image i think i think the cohen's capture what what like the novel looks like in my head much yeah, better yeah. than oh than for Henry sure hathaway did and yeah i mean partially that's just hathaway's like working at the tail end of the studio system and he's like this long time right. studio vet and he's working with you know some with john wayne and Yep. It's like these bright, you know, California exteriors that yeah. are not seasonally appropriate. Yeah, I, right. you know, they're and beautiful shooting, green shooting rolling day for hills. night. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it just, it looks phony in a yeah. way. That, <laughs> it where, does. Whereas and, and maybe it's just because like Trugrit is more recent to me. It's it, mm-hmm. it has the kind of idea of realism that we have now of what we think the 1870s looked like right even i mean even the color scheme it's like very muted and kind of a lot of grays and browns and that kind of thing whereas the 69 true grit is very vibrant greens and um i mean it's really beautiful Mm -hmm. i think i think henry hathaway did actually do a lot of um outdoor shooting for that i mean obviously they had um soundstage stuff too but yeah, but, um, it's, but yeah, it's there's like a all shot in California, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. the, the landscape yeah. is very unlike yeah. Oklahoma and Arkansas. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, I and it's, I really and it's do the long like season. the look of it. Like it's a, this is a this is a this is a wintertime story. It's supposed to be winter. Yeah. Yeah, which really I mean I I do love that element of the the, the Cohen's version of it i mean you really do feel the the coldness i think in the the winter time of it and yeah. but even um, then, like they don't get like the snowstorm when they have the the fight at the at the dugout with uh mm-hmm. moon and quincy like that's supposed to be buried in snow and like everyone is freezing right. outside waiting for right uh, lucky ned pepper's gang to show up and neither version has any snow there it's just a dusting of snow yeah yeah uh, yeah. Uh, to go back to one thing that I, I that really baffled me about the Coens, and it is uh, the way they they treat poor poor Labeef. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He 
is it is it's a very odd version of that character i think like the um, fir- first they make him creepy right yeah why do you think they had him she wakes up in her bedroom and he's sitting there like with his his feet up and to, just kind of watching her i mean um, to give him some kind of she, degree of menace maybe i guess but he's not really supposed to be a necessarily a menacing character he's kind of a dandy um although ultimately he's a very good shot (laughs) um but but it makes that line where he's like i I thought to steal a kiss from you really creepy yeah Uh, (laughs) she's only 14 (laughs) and in in the cohen's version uh quits like he he quits the group and he goes off on his own and he is Mm -hmm. not there to set mm-hmm. up the ambush in the dugout, right. which right. Uh, is like, is, you know, the whole reason like the ambush goes wrong is because Labeef isn't paying attention and he doesn't follow orders and he shoots too soon. Right, exactly. Is is a flaw that makes sense in his character because he's, mm-hmm. he is kind of flighty. Uh, he is overexcited. He is he's a young man, whereas Rooster is old and, and patient and uh, methodical. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, but I mean, here I think he's just like Cohen's... a guy, like a dumb guy who wanders in and gets in the way and gets accidentally shot. Exactly. And so he's kind of a little bit clueless, but it, there's also then ultimately a kind of nobility to his character, perhaps, or something that is introduced simply because he... Or not nobility, but... I don't know. There's like unjust suffering or something like that that's introduced yeah, in, well he's, in that scene. He's he's just like a sap. Yeah, you know, he's like right. he's like the butt of a joke. Right. And then like he gets he you know he gets his moment of of redemption at the end. But I mean it's it's I think it's it's more satisfying to have this character who is like trying to be something and failing. Um, to ultimately succeed as opposed to just like this dopey guy, I uh, get lucky at the end. And do yeah, something useful I, for once. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I think, I don't know if he's totally incompetent. Um, I mean, I guess, okay. So in the Cohen's version, he, he finds the cabin. Um, he goes in and then I, and I guess like it doesn't necessarily demonstrate his in- incompetence he uh, he comes out and then ned pepper's gang is just right there right he's um, he's just he's he's a sap yeah he he's just yeah it's haplessness yeah exactly kind of. he has um, he has no he has no agency he just kind of wanders right. in yeah right and then I, yeah i guess he regains it at some point um but it is it is kind of a strange choice to that the Cohen brothers had him kind of split off from um, Maddie and Rooster uh, twice. I think that doesn't happen in the novel, right? There's pretty early on um, in the they're together, and then he leaves pretty early on in the film after they kind of um, disagree about the money thing, um, and Rooster sides with Maddie, and he leaves. And then there's another point too where he leaves. Or no, that that's also true to the, the, the novel. The, but the money, the money negotiation is all before they ever leave in the book. Right. Or as right. it comes that's, later in in the Cohen's movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, that is an interesting point too that I wanted to 
ask you about because that that negotiation in the in the Coen Brothers film, um, and that I think may well I'm not sure, but it it maybe suggests that um, Labif actually has some um, that that there's some nobility in his character that's that's better than Rooster because in that in that um, scene, um, Labif uh, accuses Rooster of being with the um, the Quantrill gang, right? right? Which was that um, group of Confederate kind of raiders that um, massacred civilians um, during the Civil War. That is um, a and lot. so, yeah, <laughs> yes. says. <laughs> right, right. But I think, I think in the novel, you're not really sure. I mean, there's a suggestion that probably he was actually. Uh, yeah, Rus- a part of that game. So that admits that he was in right. in Quantrill's Raiders, right? Which which adds an interesting layer to his character that you're like, this guy has some real dark stuff in his background. But I think in the Cohen's version, it's introduced by uh, Labeef only to be dismissed. And I think we're supposed to think assume it is. It's just a ridiculous claim. Um, that he would have been with them. Um, yeah, a lot of, but I don't a, know. A lot of Rooster's backstory is just kind of played for laughs in right. the Cohen's version. He's, it's him just like drunkenly talking. You don't know how much he's making up or, or right. how much Right, rambling on about his wives and or <laughs> his ex-wife and Whereas like and... when when John Wayne is telling it, like it's it's very heartfelt. It's, it's a, it's a mm. terrific scene where he's, you know, kind of actually letting her know, you know, about the, the store that he ran and the wife and and son that he had that that left him and and also like all of the it's i think it's more detailed in in the book but all of like the various misdeeds that he did from the the war onwards and maddie's disapproval of them right right yeah yeah and that i mean a lot of that is played in the scene when they're waiting at the cabin so he's just Mm -hmm. kind of talking on and on about all of that in his background um but yeah so it is interesting that that i think the cohen's kind of make him actually I mean in some ways he's more slovenly uh than the John Wayne character I mean our inter- the introduction in the Coen's film is he's in an outhouse right literally right. in an outhouse when not, <laughs> when you're introduced to him it's not, not in the, not in the, in the novel the book. <laughs> no no so he's he's kind of this sort of grungy slovenly guy but he truly has a noble heart I mean he wasn't part of the Quantrill gang, probably, and no, no, he, he also. Oh, he was. You think he was. in the oh, Cohen's version? Yeah. Okay, I thought it was sort of played as if he it was dismissed, but maybe uh, you could think, you, you could be uh, right. Every time, every time it it comes up in 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 the book and in both versions, when uh, uh, when Labeef says that the the Quantrill uh, people uh, massacred women and children in Lawrence, Kansas. He says yeah. that is a damn lie. Right, <laughs> in the Cohen's would, version. Yeah. In, in every version he says that. <laughs> yeah. But I thought there was another reference to it like in the novel that made it seem like, oh, it's obviously not a lie, but in the Cohen's version it's never obviously not a lie. Well, you wouldn't you wouldn't say that Quantrill didn't kill people in Lawrence if No, no, but if it, unless you were with him. <laughs> the only people who would defend Quantrill were people who were raiding with him. Oh, but I thought, but I thought he was more saying it's a lie that I was with him, not no, that it no. was a lie that it's it happened. A, it's, he's saying it's a lie that they killed women and children. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think in, but, all, in all three versions, it's it is canon that that Rooster was. Uh, uh, he was part of it. Yeah. Um, but they do the Coens. Um, I'm trying to think. No, this is the novel too. But there's the um, scene when the two kids are uh, torturing the yes. uh, the mule. Um, John Wayne doesn't do that. I think that seems no. Yeah, that is a good scene. Right. It is a good scene. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, that's another thing that is a kind of a testimony to his character. I think, right? Mm -hmm. um, that he doesn't want to see people or animals, I guess, um, tortured. Tortured. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's and it's important considering what he what he does to Maddie's horse at the end. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty important scene yeah. in that regard because you know, he does not want to put Maddie's horse through what she, the horse goes through. I think, uh, the most, the most interesting thing about Rooster to me, like the most interesting thing that he does is, um, on when they're on the last leg of their trip, they're on this, like, uh, this long, uh, ride to where he knows uh lucky ned pepper's uh hideout is and yeah. the whole the whole way there he drinks and he drinks right. and he mm -hmm. drinks and he drinks and then and the, and maddie disapproves all the time he yes. doesn't care he just keeps drinking he drinks and yeah. drinks and drinks uh he passes out in in the book and the john wayne version he's awake and sober the next morning maddie goes down to the stream and gets and gets caught yeah uh, in in the cohen's version he drinks he passes out. He's still asleep, and Labeef has left. Yeah, he's not in the group again. Right, right. <laughs> and, and Maddie goes off on her own. So it's mm -hmm. like in uh, in the Cohen's version, it is like Rooster's negligence that leads to her getting caught because he was so drunk. Um, right. And also, uh, he has gotten them lost supposedly. Like he doesn't know. He's, right. Like he's taken them to the hideout, but the hideout is abandoned. So everyone thinks mm -hmm. that he has no idea where he's going, and he's just incompetent. Whereas he's he knew where he was going all all the time, and he just camped close to where they were and slept off his drink. And right. Uh, it's it's left unsaid why he drinks so much, and I think you can you can kind of infer that he knows what what the next day has in store for him. And he's kind of mm. uh, medicating himself against it. Kind of oh, that's an interesting reading. Yeah, yeah, I um, yeah, I hadn't thought of it that way. I mean, it, it's set up early on that he, um, whenever he comes across, you know, um, contraband, he basically takes it for himself. So, mm. the, and that they found that um, that whiskey in the cabin, right? And that's why he has it. Um, at that point. And so I just, I mean, I, my assumption was that, oh, it's just there. So if it's there, he drinks it. But, but it does, that is an interesting reading to kind of think of it as he know what's, knows what's coming. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And also, I mean, the, the fact that Labeef has left again is, yeah. is, is irritating. <laughs> the fact, right. like, I, I like, I like that, Coop, that, that Rooster uh, can drink all day. And still yeah. end up exactly in the right spot, whereas the right. Cohen's imply he's gotten himself lost, and it's just like dumb chance that he's ended up camped across the creek from the people mm -hmm. he's searching for, which is yeah. not the case yeah. at all. Like the 
the whole the whole purpose of of like hiring him is that he knows Lucky Ned Pepper and he knows where his hideout is. And he knows <laughs> the, the Choctaw territory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the so I'm, it was probably a month ago that I saw the John Wayne version. So it was a while. So um, he, I'm trying to think what happens there. Labeef just stays with them the whole time, right? Yeah. In the in the '69 version. I mm-hmm. mean, at that point. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they're together. Like once uh, Maddie has earned his respect, they, they stay yeah, together. Yeah, they stay together, yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, Rooster... Well, and it's basically because in the Coen's version, Rooster basically turns on Labeef, which is, again, a very strange... It doesn't make sense with his character. I don't think that he would do that at, at that point, turns on Labeef and basically doesn't share in his food and... and um, He's suddenly grumpy all of a sudden, um, yeah, but it also and, seems and like Labeef the... has like accidentally cut his tongue, and like Rooster's like pulling <laughs> right. on it, and and the right. whole the whole purpose right. of which is simply to have Matt Damon talk in a funny voice. I, I was going to say, I mean, it does seem like that is just to add both to kind of Labeef's uh, in, incompetence and sort of comedic yeah. um, value um, more than. It, it would make sense for the character, I guess. But it, it, yeah, the implication is that he was so terrified he's never seen anything like that before that that's what right. that's what his response would be to nearly bite his own tongue off. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do... Oh, and the other thing I was going to say about that scene is the Coens seem to, uh, in, a, in a way, almost want to develop a kind of um, romantic attachment or something. There's some kind of a... a, a, a layer there but when maddie and labeef are saying goodbye or they think they're saying goodbye in that in that scene when she basically like oh no i misjudged you i chose the wrong guy and there's like this handshake um and it's it's very like an intimate moment which is again kind of odd given the age difference and given neither filmmaker really can resist sexualizing maddie (laughs) right yeah which is yeah. which is, is so creepy. weird. I mean, really it's creepy. it's creepy when it's Tim Darby who's like twenty two years yeah. old playing a fourteen year old girl. It's really yeah. creepy when it's Haley Stanfield who's like a fourteen year old girl playing a fourteen year old. Yeah, girl. yeah. I think I think even she was like thirteen when they cast yeah. it. Um, so yeah, she's very and having a fourteen year old daughter myself <laughs> like extra creepy to think about. Yeah. She's um, really she's really good though. Like, See, yeah, I wanted to. I like. I wanted to ask you about the performances. I mean, yeah. Haley Stein, Steinfeld. Do you, you've liked her performance? Yes, I think. I think her her performance it might be my favorite of both movies. You between the two Maddies? No, or of, just of like over all, all of the, the performances? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I yeah. think. I think. I think she's really good. I think. I think she is acting in the character that's in the book. Yes, I I agree, and um, the the Coens did say something. They um, they they talk about because the novel is it's basically told from an older woman's perspective, telling the story mm-hmm. right of herself as a young girl. So the the dialogue, I mean, it's supposed to be from the perspective of a fourteen year old girl, but it's infused with this kind of starchy old lady tone that you kind of wonder like, is that really what she was like? Or is that just what she kind of imagined what she was like at that age? But I think the, it doesn't really matter, but the Coens talked about wanting to have this 14 year old girl kind of have her, her dialogue and her attitude 
in a way like a starchy old lady. And I think Haley Steinfeld gets that really well. Yeah, um, and I, I mean, the, the, the best thing about the story is, is Maddie's voice. And it's yes, exactly. It's, it's the novel is written like entirely in her voice, and it's yeah. it's so like fun to read, it, like just it, like little kind really of orthographical is. quirks, like the way that that yeah. you like put uh, any kind of slang word in in quotes, <laughs> even yeah, exactly. even words that are not <laughs> slang anymore and haven't been slang uh-huh. for like 120 years. Is this almost kind of prudish sort of? Yeah, like, <laughs> like is, she's, you know, she she has to call something by the name everybody else calls it, but she finds it very distasteful. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and she wants to make sure we know that yeah. she sees it as distasteful. She does not approve yeah. of this word, stunt. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It really is such a funny novel. I mean, I think both films are pretty funny, but mm-hmm. the novel is really, really funny. Yeah, um, I think I think the '69 version is really hurt by by Kim Darby's performance. She's just, yeah, she's I just agree. Not, she's I, not really bad. She's just not right for the part. She's, right. She's, yeah. She's too old. She's too like kind of innocent. You know. Yeah. She's, she's too soft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she is. She is. She is really soft. She doesn't have that that toughness and directness that I think uh, Haley Steinfeld brings to it yeah and it was it was originally supposed to be Mia Farrow and I don't think she would have been right for it either oh <laughs> she might no have actually been I can't worse. I can't see that at all yeah yeah wow um, and Elvis I, Elvis was supposed to be uh uh Labeef. Glenn oh <laughs> instead of Glenn Campbell yeah he wanted he wanted top billing though ahead of John wow. Wayne so then they wouldn't give it to him wow <laughs> oh no that didn't work you can't have him ahead of John Wayne um, but, but this was—it was Glenn, it, Campbell, it was Glenn like, Campbell's first role, right? I yeah. liked him in it. Yeah, yeah, I like I like his, I like his performance much more than than uh, Matt Damon's, which is surprising because yeah. I generally like Matt Damon a lot as an actor. Um, yeah, I I kind of like Matt Damon in the role. Um, I I know what you mean. I mean, it is very kind of mannered, and it's and some of the choices they make are irritating. But I I I really like Matt Damon in it. I, I do think he's funny, even though maybe it's not supposed to. I don't know. It would better maybe not to do it that way. <laughs> but yeah, and the, I uh, really like him. I like the supporting cast in the '69 version better. You have you have Dennis Hopper as as oh Moon yes, getting Dennis. Getting his I mean, shot. his small role. He yeah. is like he's like a lightning rod in the screen. He's yep. so good in that little role. And uh, same with uh, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall uh, is very good too. Apparently, Henry Hathaway and and John Wayne did not like him at all. <laughs> yeah, he, I th- Henry Hathaway said Robert Duvall was the most obnoxious actor he's ever worked with. <laughs> yeah, and that is that's like your that's like that's like Hollywood in the late sixties. It's like this generational yeah. collision between like Hathaway and Wayne, and then these exactly. like younger method actors like Duvall and and Hopper. Yes, that and Hopper. When the movies work, like create like this really like fascinating tension but they can also yeah. just drive things completely off the rails whereas yeah. in uh in the coen brothers you have you have josh brolin doing a funny voice yeah. you have barry pepper yeah. covered in mud like these mm-hmm. these are good actors but they're all doing coen brothers characters as opposed right. to like you know actual people yeah which, I mean, if you can kind of embrace it, I mean, if you're kind of thinking of it as a little slightly cartoony um, in, yeah. in a 
almost in a well in a Coen Brothers sort of way, I guess. Although they don't, all their characters aren't cartoony, but um, yeah, they they are in this. That's, they, that's, that's a great <laughs> word for it. it. It is it is a cartoon version of of the novel. Yeah. Which I mean, it's not to say that it's not that the novel is like super serious because it's not. It's very funny, but it's 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 more grounded in in character and mm-hmm. specifics of of like creating a a, a world a, like a believable 1880 Indian territory. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there is a definite artificiality to it and and maybe the the most authentic I don't know if authentic is the right word but because they do they really stick closely to the the dialogue that um makes it sound like the book I mean the Coens did did say that they said that's really how people talked then I mean I'm not sure if that's true but it 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 I certainly mean, the, um, the novel was written in 1968 so, right I mean, so how much did Charles Gordis actually I don't know yeah I, I don't know either, um, but I, they do capture I think that at least the the dialogue the, and it's very consistent all the way through. Yeah, I mean it it, um, it sounds and it looks like the novel should look, um, mm-hmm. but like I I think it it's uh, I think the plotting goes astray and kind of muddles the experience of the novel. Whereas uh, I think the the first the sixty nine version. Uh, doesn't get doesn't get the sound it doesn't get the look right but it gets the story right up until the end which is which is a bit yeah. uh, so yeah. it's like it's like it's like a words and music thing like like the 69 version yeah. just has the right words but the Cohen's version has the right music but, yeah yeah what did you think of um, well I wanted to ask you two more things first of all what did you think of Jeff Bridges and then also I I really like the Cohen brothers how they ended it um, I, I mean I'm mm-hmm. I much prefer it to the the 69 version. And I, I feel like it adds a really interesting note that takes the cartooniness out of it uh, there at the very end. But um, maybe Jeff Bridges first, what did you think about him as Cogburn? It's such a different (laughs) Cogburn than how Wayne plays it. I think, I think for the most part, he's fine. I think Wayne probably gets is like a truer reflection of the character but I'm not sure. Like, it's a really good performance from John Wayne, uh, who, you know, he, he won an Oscar for it, and, and that is as much mm-hmm. like a career achievement award as anything else. But Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, Bridges, Bridge like like all the other performances, except for Haley Stanfield, are, is kind of buried under these Coen Brothers mannerisms, like the, the way, you know, the changes to his voice and the makeup and... And everything, just the, the way he mumbles and chews on his words, it's yeah, it's fine. I think I think, uh, but you know, Bridges, he's good. I don't I don't yeah. really have a problem with this performance, but I, I yeah, think, I think I prefer John Wayne's because yeah. I think I think you know having John Wayne in this part is really interesting as well because he's such an iconic Western figure, and in a yeah, lot of absolutely. ways, the Rooster Cogburn character is. I don't want to say like a deconstruction or uh, of that character or a revision of that character, but it's very much kind of playing on your expectations of a Western hero. Right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, the Rooster and Cogburn character in itself. I mean, and then the way I mean, John, it's John Wayne is like kind of old, fat, 
um, mm-hmm. drunk. I mean, that definitely plays against a lot of the, the types that he, um, or the characters that he played um, in Westerns that came before that. So that it is, it is interesting. Yeah. Like he's, um, I think he's 61 years old at this point, but he's not far removed right. from playing like the romantic lead with Angie Dickinson, yeah. you know? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah it's, I, it's definitely I like, like a, I, I think, yeah. go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> go no, ahead. I was going to go back to bridges. I was going to okay. say, yeah. I, um, bridges. I, I I found his I found it very distracting the first time I I saw the film when it when it came out um, in the theaters I hadn't revisited it since since I first saw it in the theater and I, I just was very distracted by the fact that I couldn't really understand what he was saying but I I I liked him a lot more uh, this time around um, and I I yeah I I mean I think he plays the role really consistently and really well and it does seem to me that it is just going to be kind of a matter of taste whether you prefer John Wayne um to Jeff Bridges and I um we talked a little bit about this before we started recording but I I still like feel like I have a little bit of resistance just to John Wayne the John Wayneiness of John Wayne and even if the the um the role is undercutting um some of the type that he's played before it's it's still so John Wayne to me that I I feel like Bridges disappears a little bit more for me which I liked um, but I could totally understand why someone would prefer John Wayne over Bridges. And I, I mean, I have come to really like John Wayne a lot, but I feel like I still need to see a lot more of his movies to kind of truly appreciate sort of the nuances of, of what he's doing. Um, yeah. So. He's, he's, he's an interesting actor. He's, yeah. he's, he's good, but he's so iconic. It's, it's hard to separate out. Like the, exactly, the version of John Wayne that everyone knows from like the the actual like actorly craft of what he's doing, or just yeah. individual performances and how they relate to the films that contain them. Yeah. Uh, one thing I really liked, and and uh, this was my favorite thing about the movie when I first saw it back in in two thousand ten was was the way the the Coens did the. Uh, the like uh, ride after after Maddie is is snake bit. Yeah, that's a really really good sequence. Yeah, and it at the time it reminded me of of Night of the Hunter. Uh, yeah, kind of like uh, yeah, like animated and like creepy, but fairy tale, starry skies and yeah, exactly. And it's it's almost like German nice. expressionism a little bit or something or like yeah, and it's it's kind of connecting to this kind of weird Americanness that is yeah. that is in the movie um mm-hmm. yeah there's a there's a kind of like dreamlike quality to it but interestingly enough i mean it kind of taps into there, there's a real em, uh emotional core or realism that i think it it gets at there in part because of the the, the dreamlike quality uh of it um and yeah. and the light or lack thereof and the shadows and yeah, I mean, it's 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 fitting that the Coen Brothers movie ends in a circus. Like it, it couldn't end yeah. anywhere else, um, and right. and the book ends there too. But yeah. and then they have uh, that that hymn. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I you that don't just, like it? I it, really like it. It's so jokey. It's, it reduces the whole movie to like this pun. 
Well, yeah. I mean, okay. So leaning on the everlasting arms. She lost yeah. an arm. Uh-huh. She's really gonna have to get lean it. Out. Get it. Arm. <laughs> but but I think what I like about it is I think it fits. And maybe they could have done more of this more throughout the film to make to tie into her straight laced religious viewpoint. But I think mm-hmm. I think she is that kind of straightforward of character. In, in the sense that she lost an arm, gonna have to lean on Jesus' arms. <laughs> yeah, I, I really do not think uh, that Maddie Ross would approve of that pun. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that the the hymn um, does tap into Maddie's worldview um, and to um, her her outlook. Um, and in in the sense that I mean, she she is a very self reliant person, and yet she mm-hmm. also has this very strong idea that the world is set up in a certain way, the way there's God's justice, and I'm going to pursue that justice because I'm strongly assured that kind of God is on my side, and I'm going to do things in the right way according to that. And I I think that just the hymn, maybe maybe it could have been a different choice of a hymn, but yeah. um, I. And they do. I think they play at least four different hymns throughout the score. Um, yeah, I mean, that are if, if, kind of tapping into that. If the whole score was just like Iris, Iris Dement singing eighteen seventies hymns, I yeah, I'm down with that. But Iris Dement is really great. <laughs> yeah, but but that way it's just it's so jokey. And I know it is, is but it but you know, Sean, it got me for some reason. I don't feel like it's a joke. I feel like. It's like, and and that paired with the image of her walking out, this kind of um, is just the the shadow of her walking um, past the graveyard. That there, that there, it like death is hanging over it. It's not just the loss of her arm, but it's kind of all the death that we've seen and that she's experienced throughout that has made her this kind of very uh, harsh person. By the end, um, she doesn't have a lot of joy, um, and. And I don't know what the hymn has to do with that, but it, it just, it just seems like, I don't know. I found the hymn really moving. <laughs> um, and maybe because it was so obvious and like a pun, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, um, I'm, I'm turning into like one of those old men who, who complains about the Coen brothers being smart alecky. So. <laughs> you are, you are, you're past your twenties and now you're like, ah, the Coens. Yeah. I liked him when I was 20. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, death death hangs over us all, and it's time for us to stop talking it's about time. this. <laughs> uh, so good. yeah, uh, we will be back at some point. If not with a Mohican show before Vancouver, then definitely from the Vancouver Film Festival. I know that uh, uh, Evan and Ryan and I will be there. Uh, you are still undecided? Uh, I'm still kind of thinking about it. Yeah, it kind of has to do with how how much I can get my syllabus and my class together for fall. And uh, yeah. Right on. Well, hopefully so, you'll be able to come up for at least like a weekend or something. Yeah, I, I really, really want to go. I missed last year and you saw so many good films last year that I was super envious of everybody. So, and there's, it sounds like there's going to be some really great films this year. So I would, I would love to go up for at least a little bit. Yeah. It should be great. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, <laughs> thank you for, uh, coming on and talking about true. Yeah.
Get You're to welcome. Work, get to work reading the last Mohicans. Okay. <laughs> and Zama. I will. Yes, Zama. I'm Zama, Zama to sounds one. good, and it's very short. So. It like is. That. It's like 150 pages or something like yeah. that. I might just yeah. like save it and read it on the train to Vancouver. So. There you go. Sounds good. All right. Uh, that is it for this week. Thank you for listening. Bye.